Welcome to the Expert Network Team podcast. Where our goal is to inform and educate our listeners on matters related to finance, legal, insurance, accounting, and other interests that are of personal and business nature. We hope you will find our content useful as well as entertaining. The Expert Network team consists of Carl Frank of ANI Financial, Mike Miller of Miller and Associates CPAs, Jeff Cromendike of Security First Insurance Agency, and I'm Nathan Merrill. I'm an attorney at Goodspeed and Merrill. Together, our independent team combines our expertise to provide you insights and solutions, some straightforward, some profound, for real-life opportunities we see on a daily basis. We hope you enjoy the information contained in today's podcast and find it useful. If you'd like to learn more or desire to meet with any of the Expert Network team members in person, you can contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's I-N-F-O at expertnetworkteam.com. We encourage you to take advantage of a free consultation with any of our team members. Just mention this podcast when you schedule your appointment. Now on to today's podcast. All right, so welcome to today's podcast. This is Nathan Merrill, Goodspeed and Merrill. I'm here with uh, Mike Miller of Miller and Associates CPAs. Is it is it Miller and Associates or Mike Miller and Associates? It's Miller and Associates. Okay, Miller and Associates CPAs. And uh, we um, are carrying on from our conversation from the last episode where we were doing a introduction to uh, cash accounting versus accrual accounting showing some of the compare and contrast of how those systems work. And Mike left us with a nice big tease at the end of it, talking about hybrid. So I'm going to let Mike explain what he meant by there. And, and I think what the other thing we want to explore today is how we use these newly understood concepts of cash and accrual to our benefit or to our advantage within our businesses. Because, uh, and we can speak a little bit to this too, obviously tax kind of has its own compelled systems of accounting, but we can also make some elections in our financial accounting side to help us make better decisions within our business, and that's that's a lot where you come into play. So first, talk about hybrid and um, what you were teasing us with there. Sure. So on our last podcast, we talked about cash basis and accrual basis, and I left us with the hybrid. So the hybrid system, again, is for those of you that have inventory uh, and or you acquire um, product for resale, because that's what cost of goods sold is. Right. right. You're, you're, you're manufacturing something for resale, or if you bought something, then you intend to resell it for a higher price. That creates inventory, which creates cost of goods sold. So if you are in that world, and you, are, you qualify for the under $25 million in revenue per IRS regulations, you can implement a hybrid system such that you can run your financials from a tax perspective or a book perspective, on the cash basis, but treat your inventory as if it were accrual basis. So what that means basically is you have inventory and you have accounts payable on the books, where in a cash world you would not have that. Okay. And you'd, you'd expense the inventory. When you so, yeah, so that, that begs the question, Just and I'm sure this is probably where you're going, is why, why would I like to have that hybrid system? Where does that benefit me, or does it benefit me? Does it benefit the IRS? Well, it... It benefits you, the taxpayer, in my in my opinion, and it, and it's going to depend on case by case basis. And it really, when we're talking about this, we're talking about probably a two year window where we'd want to use it or not use it. So if you're looking at the hybrid system, if you don't use it, right, and you're 
buying, manufacturing or buying product for resale, you're expensing everything as you buy it, but your sales may not be catching up with what you've manufactured or, or bought to resell, right? And then the next year, your sales catch up, and, and you're, go, you're playing this game year after year after year. So, well, it could be one year, you know, I didn't, I didn't make a lot of money for tax purposes because my financials were, were, you know, showed a, a loss or, you know, not From all the income. expense. Yeah, from all the expense for everything you bought. Well, the next year, you've got all this income and revenue that came in, you're showing a huge profit because you haven't matched, right, your inventory with the sales that were produced, right? So the hybrid system comes in and says, run everything on the cash basis, but we want to use the matching principle in your, your financial statements to say, we're going to match the sale with the, with the item that you sold so that we're only presenting on the financial statement the gross profit that that product produced, rather than having these gigantic swings in your gross profit margin, mm-hmm. we're going to balance that out and smooth it out. So you can hybrid that, um, which is completely allowable under the IRS regulations so far as you're, you're under the $25 million revenue cap. And, okay, that, that makes sense. So if I'm a business owner out there listening to this, what should I be looking for in terms of um, what's going to be my, my trigger to help me recognize that that's something I need to be looking at? The, the huge swings okay. in, in your tax bills. I mean, because that's either, either that or you're looking at your financials going, man, I just can't manage my business. What is going on? Why do I have these swings? You know, and that's where I help a lot of clients is they're just like, I don't understand, Mike. Why is one year look so great and the other year look so bad? Well, it's it really boils down to that matching principle. Or if you find yourself perhaps, I, I guess this is another way it would manifest. If every year you find yourself feeling compelled to buy a bunch of stuff, to cancel out the income, it becomes a, a self-perpetuating problem, it would seem like, because, like you say, if, if you, the first year you do it, you take a big expense on the books, now you're going to have that income recognition ne- next year without any offsetting deduction. You're going to feel compelled to do the same thing at the end of the, the next year and the year following and the year following. So it becomes, and if you're growing your business at all, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it's going to become a beast at some point. So how do you sol- how do you solve for that, or do you just have to bite the bullet at some point and say, "I need to stop doing this and do and it, switch to the hybrid"? You, you just outlined kind of kind of a vicious cycle, yeah. in, in the accounting financial statement world, right? Because now you're like, I'm always in this dilemma, where now if you implement that accrual basis portion, even in the hybrid, if you're just doing it for your inventory to manage that inventory. If you look at your gross profit margin, right, as a percentage of sales, one one month or one year it's super good. The next year it's negative because you've written off all the inventory and you didn't recognize any sales. You can't manage a business that way. Mm-hmm. You don't know what your costs are doing. You don't know what you're selling your product for unless you're really paying attention to subsystems. And then when you're looking at the subsystems where your sales price and your cost is being generated, you're going, well, why doesn't that play out in my financial statements? So you're really trying to manage and smooth out your gross profit margin because if you don't know what your gross profit margin is doing, how are you going to cover your selling and general administrative expenses, right? Absolutely. And it's a cash flow issue at that point because now you're spending all your money to buy all this stuff to manufacture your inventory or your man, you're, you're, you're spending all this cash to buy the stuff you're going to resell and you're not selling it. And, and quite literally letting the tax tail wag the dog. Your, exactly. Your taxes, your tax bills dictating how you're running your business. Right. As opposed to your profit margin. Right. Profit, profit margin is, is key, the key element when you have cost of goods sold. 
Okay. So moving on to oh, so are we done with hybrid? Yeah, that's basically it. It's just it's really for people that, that manufacture products for resale or buy and buy and hold something and resell it. Okay. That's where it makes the most sense. So now I'm gonna move into hybrid or or um kind of mixed financials, the using cash and accrual for managing your business. When does this make sense? How do you use it effectively? And why would why would you do that? So again, looking at the, the, the requirement, twenty five million and above, you're required by law to record your financial statements on the accrual basis and file your tax return on the accrual basis. So Anything, that that requirement by law applies to to financial reports as yes. well. Why does the government care how I report things internally for financial purposes? Because you have, kind of have to match your tax return. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So above $25 million, they're dictating how I do my financial reports internally as well, and that translates over to obviously an accrual basis for yeah. tax purposes. Are those systems identical, similar, in terms of the tax basis accrual versus financial gap? They're the same. Okay. So why, why, why would you care about cash basis if you can't use it? On the tax return. It's a fair point. So just just run your financials accrual. But that's above twenty five million. Twenty five million. So right. for every company out there who's now listening, who's above twenty five million, you can skip to the next episode. Right. Because all we're going to be talking about here is being able to report tax returns cash basis, but you may want to maintain your financial reporting accrual. Why would we want to do that? Right. Uh, basically to in my opinion, to manage your, your, your business in a better way. Because if you look at a cash basis financial statement, you're really looking at it month over month over month. And that's what we were talking about, those swings and Yeah, you're, you've, pits got, and you've got these swings every month. It's like, oh, you know, well, what happened last year? If you're looking at March over March comparison, let's say. If, if you're really a business owner who's really attuned to their business, you're paying attention to the financial statements. Some people do, some people don't. Depends on what kind of comparison you're doing. But if you're looking at, let's say, first quarter over second quarter, First quarter uh, 2019 versus, you know, first quarter 2020, let's say. And there's this huge swing in the first quarter where it's like, man, my expenses are 20% higher. Why? Well, you spent cash on something, mm-hmm. right? And you, you can identify it pretty quickly, but you got to go back and figure it out. Where on a accrual basis, you're going to spread that expense out. Well, yeah. Or the revenue out over a period of time, and your financials are more smoother and more representative of really what's going on in the business on a month-over-month, year-over-year basis. So that's something we didn't talk about too in-depth. And, and I know offline you and I had a bit of a conversation about this. So when a company's making an investment that may have a several-year useful life um, and they want to allocate that cost across those several years, um, it not only gives you a better picture in terms of your revenue generating activity versus the costs associated with that revenue generating activity. But, you know, one of the areas where we've also seen it having relevance is when you have shifting ownership over that period. Right. So maybe you can speak a little to that. Well, I don't have a a plethora of clients in that boat, but um, yeah, again, it's going to come back to your matching principle. It's, it's, if, if you don't have, if you don't account for it on the accrual basis the way you just explained it, who's, who's footing the bill up front? Whoever is the owner. Whoever's the owners at that point in time. Right. Right? And everyone else that comes in afterwards is getting the benefit of your investment. So it essentially allows you to 
so in effect, what you've, you're building up there is rather than taking an expense that that reduces that owner's equity, you're allowing them to build up or maintain equity over a longer period of time. It, or maybe I'm not expressing it well. It just it it deducts from the equity of later owners. You know, if you have businesses where ownership is changing, it it would charge the cost to those owners at the point they arrive as owners of the business. Right. Yeah. So if, so if you're the initial owners and you're doing cash infusions for something, it's going to reflect in your partner capital or shareholder equity account because you, you did the big investment, right? Right. But if you're just going to inject cash and call it whatever you want to call it as a other asset on the balance sheet, right? And right. You're, you're going to wait until somebody else comes along to contribute to that. You're deferring that investment off into the future when someone else is going to come along and be the player in that game. So that's where that's where accrual accounting is almost mandatory. You're not going to get away with it on a cash basis, right? And you can't even do it with a hybrid because it's like I said, hybrid is just applicable for companies that have cost of goods sold. So, what other practical examples can you think of from your clients, the the people you've worked with, where you, you've had someone come to you? And they've been historically operating on a cash basis because it's easy, it's intuitive, it's simple. There's, they've been a startup company, but now they're maturing to a point where accrual makes sense for them. What are some perhaps practical examples of clients and how it's impacted the, the way they've made decisions? Um, again, like I said before, it's usually the clients that are just like, I'm having, tr- they've grown and they just like, I, I'm just having a tough time grasping the swings that are happening month to month or quarter over quarter because I don't, you know, because we're recording it this way. So that drives the accrual just so it smooths, it smooths the expenses out, smooths the revenue out, becomes more predictable. You can see what's going on in your business. So how does that impact their, their business decisions? Or have you seen that impact their business decisions? Um, cash flow, really now. Now, when you look at the financial statements, we're, we're talking about balance sheet and we're talking about income statement. And I think in a prior podcast, I made the, made the comment, if you ask a business owner what's the most important financial statement they rely on, they'll say the profit and loss statement. The most important financial statement they should be paying attention to is the cash flow statement, which we haven't talked about at all. Okay, right? so let's talk about it. So the statement of cash flow, <laughs> statement of cash flow is, is, is kind of the, the driver between the balance sheet and the P&L. I think we did this on a previous yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. right? So that's the link between the two. What f- one feeds the other, Right. And so when you're looking at inflows and outflows of cash, how does it affect your balance sheet and vice versa? Are you doing financing activities? Is, where's the income coming from? What are you spending your cash flow on? Is it operational? Is it financing? What kind of, what, what kind of uses of cash and sources of cash do you have? That's the document that most business owners should really pay attention to. But what do they normally pay attention to? If, if it's not what cash is in the bank, it's what's my profit and loss look like? Yeah, does the, does the uh, bank account statement count as a financial statement? No. <laughs> it's a bank statement. <laughs> but that's, that's what most, most, of, most of the clients I deal with are just, just gosh, I've, I, you know, my, my, my P&L says I've got a million dollars in profit, but I got nothing in the bank. Why is that? I spend a lot of time teaching them how to reconcile that, and that is your statement of cash flows. Where'd you use the cash? Where'd it go? Interesting. That's a hard one. Statement of cash flows is a tough one, but it's the most important document that you probably have. So how, 
this is this is more now I'm I'm directing a question to you and your practice. How do you help people bridge that gap? Like um you know, like you say people come to you and they've either had their sister or brother been doing uh QuickBooks for them and they just run the report. How 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 do you help them get right with their financials and also help them understand their financials? So in in QuickBooks, it, a lot of it's set up if you don't set it up right in the in the beginning, it's not going to record things. It, it, you can record transactions, but it's gonna, not going to present on the financial statements correctly. <clears throat> so I think we were talking offline where QuickBooks can do accrual and it can do cash basis financial statements. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. And if you set it up correctly, it works. If you don't set it up correctly, it's misleading. And so you have to make sure that as clients are using, using QuickBooks anyway, that they're educated in doing it correctly. Um, so one of the things you'll help them do is make you, you'll do an audit of how they've got QuickBooks set up and make sure that it all gels. Yep. Even if they're not doing accrual cash switching back and forth, you'll just make sure the whole thing's set right, up right. Right, um, and it's it's just a lot of moving parts, and it's not just the financial statements; it's different things like 1099s and things like that. But, right. But from a financial statement perspective, if you really want to toggle between accrual and cash, we got to make sure it's set up correct. Okay. And that's true with pretty much any system. Uh, we happen to use QuickBooks almost exclusively with our clients because it's the it's the driver in the small business world. But then you still have the inertia of the client wanting to look at the P&L or the balance sheet and feeling that that is educating them enough. How do you what other things do you do to help clients again understand the 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 data and the reports that you're producing for them? Well, we want our clients to be profitable and, and then we want them to be growing. And at the same time, we want to provide tax savings. So it's kind of this, this blend of the three. So when I look, look at financial statements with clients, business clients, we're looking at it, usually looking at it. If it's not quarterly, it's semi-annually or annually. And annually, it's almost too late to solve problems. Right. So we try to at least get it in semi-annually, if not quarterly. But, but you're looking at the financial way in, in several different ways. Right. I'll run a report that shows January through December, and I'll look at, and it's monthly. So you're looking at the monthly. So you can very easily pick out, we're missing something, or why did this happen? Right. You can see it very clearly, very plainly. Then we may look at quarter over quarter from prior year performance. And if you're a profitable and growing company, you should see what you expect to see. Growth. Right. Yeah. I mean, the financial statements tell the story. And if you're not seeing what you think is happening, why is that? So it's, it's some things, your, your, your understanding of the business is incorrect. Mm-hmm. You don't understand the numbers or there's a recording error. Something's happening in the financial statements and we're not doing something correct. So let me give you an example of where we've personally experienced this because we've been a growing business historically too and we've moved from simple and intuitive to, to more complex systems as we've grown. And one thing that happens occasionally is um, we've – We've called, and I think this happened a little bit with like um, food and entertainment expenses. We called it one thing for a long time because it was treated one way for for code purposes, and then a new category was created. You know, fifty percent versus one hundred percent deductible meals and entertainment, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, this new category shows up on our P and L that didn't exist there before. So it looks like it's a a thousand percent increase over prior right. year. How do you how do you deal with stuff like that where you're where you recognize that, well, this historically hasn't been booked properly, so we're going to move this to subscriptions and dues down from whatever used to be marketing expense before. 
and now you don't have year to years that match up. How do you account for stuff like that? So, so two things can happen. One, if the client wants to pay for the service, you can go back and correct it. Okay. Right. And if you look at it from a um, a tax return perspective, if you correct something in a prior year and it affects the bottom line, depending on the magnitude of its material, you need to file an amended return. Okay. But if you're just moving expenses, expense to expense, it, and it's it, just yeah, it, it doesn't change the bottom line. Who cares? That's an internal management thing. So what we'll do is we'll give them the option of, do you want us to go back and fix? So we're looking at comparative financial statements. How far do you want us to go back? Five years, two years? What? How far do you want? How far do you want us to go back? Or we can just fix it now, and you have the mental, you know, reminder. Just kind of make reminder a note. In can, can you, in, in like QuickBooks, make notes in? You can. Okay. But yeah, you got to kind of drill in to find them. But you can make a note in there that says, "This is what we did, why we did it." And it puts a footnote down at the bottom of the financials, no. or okay, it's just in the system it's at that the, point. It's in the yeah. It's where you record the journal entry or the transaction. Okay. You can put a note explaining what you did, right? So so. To and then eventually. You you have two years that will then match up after you survive for a couple more right, years. Right, right. If you if you didn't have us go back and, yeah. and correct. Um, so a good example that you kind of pointed out was was meals and entertainment. And so we look at meals and entertainment, and we look at it, and we go, all right. Prior to 2018, meals and entertainment were 50% deductible. And there's there's another ca there's another another caveat where meals can be 100% deductible. Mm -hmm. So if you look at your financial statement, you probably had Meals and entertainment, and people didn't realize that there was a 100% deductibility component. So we coached them on, here's what's 100% deductible. We create a meals 100%. Right. We, create a, we created a meals and entertainment that would imply the 50% deductibility. Right. Now with the 2018 tax code, entertainment expenses are no longer deductible. Right. And some food-related items associated with entertainment are deductible. So now we've created, instead of meals and entertainment, we got meals 50% and entertainment. So now when we do the tax returns, we kind of know what's not deductible. We don't have to go in and dig right. it and find it out. But then you're looking at, to your point, entertainment expenses, and you go, wow, entertainment, it's up 1,000%. Why is that? You have to cognitively go back in and look at it and go, we have to look at meals and entertainment from the standpoint of it is now meals and is now entertainment on the current financial. We have to kind of look at two numbers versus one. And that's where you hope that maybe whatever category that falls into the bottom total line shows you your right. relative change in that expense, assuming it right. didn't move to another category, which right. was my other one, an example of like marketing that moves to dues and subscriptions or memberships or something like that. That happens a lot. When I used to be an auditor, we would, you know, you go in an audit and you look at financial presentation, you want to be, you know, in accordance with GAAP and all that, you're reporting to external investors, investors the SEC. You may have a category where you say, look, you've booked all this stuff into cost of goods sold over the last, you know, three years. Well, it really should be a G&A, an overhead item. And you, we make the correction, and then you footnote disclose it to the to the investor in the SEC and the financial report, right. the 10K that says, hey, we did this, and this is why we did it. QuickBooks doesn't have that functionality. So, so the good news is this is, sounds like it's relatively normal to have this kind of maturation of your financial statements over time. Um, the... Uh, the bad news is it it does kind of disrupt to some extent your ability to do year to year comparisons. A little, a little bit. Again, if you want us to go back and fix it, we right. can. We can, and that's where the the advisory side of our firm is very effective. In that, <clears throat> if you're looking at year over year financial reporting, and you're in say a business where your 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 overhead and your G and A costs are pretty consistent, but your revenue can grow and be absorbed with that cost structure. 
and all of a sudden your cost structure increased, well, why did it do that? What, what decision drove that? And if your financial statements are accurate and correct on a monthly basis, and we're looking at them with you, you, sh- you the decisions you make as a business owner should manifest in the financial statements. Right. You shouldn't be asking the question, why, why is that? Because you surely know, wait, we made the decision to do this. Well, that's where it is. Now I understand. Got it. It's, so, it's, so it's financial statement education that we provide. Once they get through that piece, it's a whole new world for the business owner to manage their business. So in some cases, I suspect that you are the one taking this data and inputting it through your bookkeeping service, or are you often involved in helping people find and staff their business with the right people to do this as well? Um, we've been doing, we call it financial preparation, financial statement preparation. I don't like the term bookkeeping. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a CPA, I'm an accountant, but anyway, financial statement preparation. But we're, we get to the point where we get our clients financial statements in order when their revenue is up to a certain point. Like, like you mentioned earlier, you'd hired somebody now to do your, right. your accounting work. So at some point, these firms, if they're growing and they're profitable and there's a plan, there's going to be a tipping point that says, you don't need us anymore to do this work. You need to hire somebody right. to do it. And that's going to make more sense. And we were only in that middle category for like a little over a year yeah. before we were like, we, we just need to bring this in-house. We tried to handle it in-house, then we went and 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 it was kind of in a crisis mode. We lost our internal bookkeeping and we had to like fill that gap real quick. But then we brought it back in, but we brought it back in with gusto like, like we've never had before. So, yeah. Um, one other quick... Uh, point to wrap up this episode on is um, you know suppose you come into a situation and you're going to move someone either from cash to accrual or there's going to be some sort of hybrid financial and tax reporting going on what what are the the positives they'll see from that sort of switch and what are what should they brace themselves for in terms of things that might come as a shock to them the, or to the, their system? The positive is on that is if they're really looking at doing that, they're looking at some more, they're really interested in some more financial education from the accounting financial statement and business operations side. The real downside surpriser is if, you're, if you want to move from a cash to an accrual basis, there could be um, some reporting you have to do with the IRS to make that change depending on the size of your company. But if, yeah, but if you're doing it at the under twenty-five million, how does that impact? There, there's a there's what's called a thirty-one fifteen reporting requirement that if you shift from a cash to an accrual basis, mm-hmm. you have to go back and assess over the last five years what's the impact of making that change. And you, there could be possible tax implications of doing that. But if you're maintaining both book tax and accrual if if you're reporting on a tax basis as a cash tax filer yeah. and that doesn't change okay you, you don't have to do that 3115 requirement if you're going from a cash tax reporting perspective to an accrual tax reporting gotcha now you have to make that 3115 right. filing and, and advise the irs hey we're doing this this is why we're doing it and here's the impact and you may have to go back and fix some awesome. i think that tax. gives me some clarity hopefully that clears that up for everybody who's listening as well because that, that's why it's, um, you know, I do a lot of partnership tax stuff, and so I deal a lot in the difference between book and tax capital accounts and things right. like that, and that always is, that's not intuitive to anybody. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not always intuitive to me. Right. Right? So if, so if you're moving from a ca- an accrual to cash, if you're, you're moving from a cash to an accrual base, and you're reporting 
on your tax return, if you do the books right, to your point earlier, if you set up QuickBooks correctly and you have a cash basis financial statement, there's really no issue when you file a tax return on a cash basis. When you've got somebody who's kind of mucked up the waters a little bit, you have to actually figure out what is that accrual to cash adjustment and report that on the tax return because it's something that's not reported. Right. It, it's, it's called an adjustment on the tax return. I won't get into details, but... No, and I think we've had we've had some of those in the past on ours, and we just take what the CPA gives us and say, okay, we put it in right. to the data. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, the other thing is I also in kind of just wrapping up chit-chat, the other thing I often disclose, and this is obviously your strong suit, is tax accounting was not my best class in in the graduate tax program. I fully disclose that to folks. I'm like, we need to get your CPA involved. Because even a tax attorney like myself, you know, shouldn't probably claim to be expert in everything right. because it's very hard. The code is very complex. And, and given that I don't do tax return preparation, it's just never been something I've fully developed as a skill set. Where I can do strat strategic stuff and structuring and and kind of planning out how things flow into that system, that's one thing. But then taking it and actually figuring out how to create financial statements off of it, get it onto the tax return, that's that's your deal. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. My strength is financial financial reporting, tax planning, tax preparation, and advisory services. And once it gets into that advanced planning where we need estate planning or multiple entity structure plannings to be yeah. more efficient, that's where I come yeah. to you. So now everybody knows yeah. kind of how we coexist within the same universe of tax. <laughs> We're very complementary. So um, don't view your your CPA as a replacement for your strategic tax planning council, and don't view your strategic tax planning council as someone who's going to displace your CPA in any respect. They need to be working together to get you the best result. So hopefully we've we've kind of illustrated how that's the case here. Um, any other closing comments? No, I just want to expand a, a little bit on one comment I made earlier where we're not, we're not bookkeepers, we're financial. Yeah. We, we prepare financial reports, financial statements. Um, there are good bookkeepers out there. I don't mean to be derogatory in that manner, but there is a significant difference between a bookkeeper. It's a level up. Yeah, people, people that are bookkeepers that don't have accounting degrees, um, they're recording transactions, whereas right. your CPA knows how to properly record transactions to reflect what's going on in the business. Right. Um, and, and, you know, a couple of examples of that are like-kind exchanges. Your bookkeeper's not even going to re remotely know how to book that transaction. And if it makes sense in the financial statements for not only themselves, but for you as the business owner, mm -hmm. uh, and you look at like a capital versus an operating lease, they, they have no idea what that means. Right. So just things like that to make your financial statements more representative of what's going on in your business rather than just these are the transactions that are flowing through my business. That's where we differentiate ourselves. Gotcha. In that context. Awesome. Well, hope you've enjoyed this. Hope it hasn't, uh, you know, sometimes when I leave meetings, almost the, the best thing I can hear is I need an ibuprofen. Because um, <laughs> at least that means that I've gotten across the gravity of the opportunity that I'm presenting because it's mind-blowing to everybody. But So do you need ibuprofen? I don't, <laughs> thankfully. I've been pumping a little caffeine into my system, and uh, some of the stuff is familiar to me. But now that we've got this capture in a podcast – People can go back and listen to it slowly. I think you can usually like slow down the speed of your podcast if this is <laughs> if you're having a hard time keeping up. I know Mike and I both talk kind of fast because that's just how we are. And um, but hopefully this is helpful to folks and and 
And if you need uh, this kind of assistant, Mike's your man. So I, I would suggest reaching out to him um, or anybody else on, on the expert team, and we'll connect you with Mike. So other than that, make it a beautiful day, and, and we'll uh, see you next time on the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the information we shared. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with someone else and join us next time. If you want to meet with a member of the team, please contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's info at expertnetworkteam.com. If you have special topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us and let us know at the same email address. Again, that's info at expertnetworkteam.com. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We want to remind you that listening to this podcast does not establish a client professional relationship with any of the firms represented, nor does it constitute legal investment or accounting advice. And the views are those of the professionals only. Investment advisory services may be provided through A&I Financial Services and securities may be provided through Genios Wealth Management. 